Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, June the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a pair of great articles gives us an insight into the upbringing of Josh Rosen and the defensive scheme that made Brian Flores a Super Bowl hero. We'll detail the excellent work from the Miami Herald's Adam Beasley and CLNS Media's Evan Lazar. Plus, our fourth and final scouting report on college quarterbacks is done. We'll talk Jordan Love and compare this QB class to Josh Rosen and rank all five of them across multiple categories. And we'll finish up with a preview of the AFC North. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Himalaya, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating and leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all the college quarterback scouting reports live on the site right now. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I have a lot to get to on this show. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And first on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your French trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And we start today's podcast with a pair of fantastic articles written by fantastic writers. And we start internally with Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald. He spent a week in California where Josh Rosen grew up in a famous John Bosco High School football program. It's titled, Despite Posh Upbringing, Dolphins quarterback Josh Rosen, a fighter. And it begins by describing in great detail the luxury and posh upbringing, as it says in the title, that Josh Rosen had. It describes the country club that Rosen grew up frequenting with a 6,000 square foot gym, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and 18 tennis courts, all accessible for a five-figure fee. You've got to be rich to live this lifestyle, and that's what Josh Rosen's parents were and are. Beasley sat down with Rosen's childhood tennis instructor, Steve Whitehead. Whitehead claimed that Rosen was among two or three child prodigies that he had the privilege of coaching and bringing up in his tennis program. And aside from his imposing physical stature, the coach says that Rosen's intelligence, even at that young age, and desire were what truly set him apart from the rest of his peers. He's a fighter, he says, Whitehead says. You're going to get a guy brought up to fight. Whitehead would go on to describe Rosen as smart, super high IQ, and everybody in that country club likes him. So the whole bad teammate, bad person thing kind of gets lost in the shuffle there a little bit. Beasley then goes on to St. John Bosco High School. And if you guys want to get an idea of what St. John Bosco High School is like, it's one of the featured schools in season number two, I believe it is, of QB1 Beyond the Lights, that Netflix show that I keep talking about with Jake Fromm. But Beasley spoke to Rosen's coach, And the coach was quick to squash any of these narratives or rumors that Josh Rosen was difficult to coach, saying that Rosen being difficult to coach could not be further from the truth. 
I don't want to read this whole story on the air for you guys here, but you can find it on my timeline. I retweeted it or on Adam Beasley's timeline or of course on the Miami Herald. It's a terrific read and gives you an idea into why Rosen might be kind of wired the way that he is or perceived as to be a bit cocky like Joe Shad told us in the podcast a couple weeks ago. Frankly, he's just good at everything he's ever done and now he's an NFL quarterback. Wouldn't you be a bit full of yourself in that instance? Maybe that's all he knows. Whatever the case may be, I just don't blame him for it. This all makes a lot more sense. Fantastic work from Adam Beasley. Let's go ahead and change gears here now and talk about this other piece I'm talking about on the podcast here today on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. But it's by Patriots beat writer Evan Lazar. He writes for CLNS Media in Boston. You might remember Evan from the Brian Flores special episode, the night that Miami announced or the reporters announced that he would be the guy for the Miami Dolphins head coaching vacancy. We did that emergency podcast with Evan Lazar late on a Friday night. He wrote up a piece on the Patriots' unique pressure packages and philosophy for getting pressure on the quarterback. Hopefully, this can kind of quell some of the fan base's concerns over a lack of true edge rushers or guys that can simply win a lot of one-on-one matchups or beat double teams for that matter. The piece is titled, Patriots Defense All-In on Simulated Pressure Renaissance, and it explores the complexities of this playground defense or amoeba defense or radar defense. It has many names depending upon which defensive coach you want to talk to, but its core principle is to confuse the quarterback and his protection calls and overload unsuspecting areas of the offensive line. It's basically like trying to steal a base in baseball, but you're trying to steal sacks and pressures in football. Evan even writes in the opening line that we are just four months removed from the masterful Super Bowl showing from the Patriots defense, and that defense was, of course, called by Brian Flores, now Miami Dolphins head coach. Hell, there's another word for it here, as Evan calls them, creepers. Creepers are defenders who show blitz, but then eventually only send four as some guys bell out and some guys come, and they do bring that pressure. The simulated pressure creates one-on-one matchups and even some free runs at the quarterback while still allowing the defense to drop seven into coverage. Essentially, you get the benefit of blitzing the quarterback without having to sacrifice on the back end in coverage. And a quick aside, this makes me think that Flores can draw up a pretty good plan to deal with Tom Brady this season and hopefully beyond as well if Tom Brady continues his career. Evan continues by detailing that the Patriots sent just four rushers into the pass rush 60% of the time last year, meaning only blitzing 40% or less. That resulted in an additional 49 quarterback pressures and a top 12 pressure rate finish compared to 2017 when the Patriots were 27th in that category. New England also tallied 78 unblocked pressures, meaning a free rusher coming in and getting the quarterback. That led all of the National Football League. There are tons of videos in this column that you're going to want to check out. I retweeted it. A lot of principles that Flores will certainly bring with him to Miami, and I think expanded roles for guys like Jerome Baker as a pass rusher, and hopefully a role for rookie Andrew Van Ginkle, who I think can do a lot in this defense because of his rush and coverage prowess. I'm really, really excited to watch this defense, but even more so, how these parts are incorporated into this scheme. The Dolphins didn't really add a whole lot of defensive personnel personnel this offseason, so this could be a filling out year where they try to figure out who's going to stick around and who leaves this defense. Okay, we're going to flip things back to the offensive side of the football and the quarterback position here in the next segment as we finish up the week of college QB scouting with a guy who just might have vaulted to the very top of my list. We're going to discuss that as well as the class cumulatively against Josh Rosen here next 
on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. The previous two man crushes I had as quarterback prospects were Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes. So it should come as no surprise that I have this new affinity in the 2020 draft class. And I think you probably could lump Josh Allen in there as well. Though I was a little more privy to some of his shortcomings, but he's a comparable prospect to the next subject of our college quarterback face of the franchise series up on LockedOnDolphins.com here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm talking, of course, about Utah State's Jordan Love. And Jordan Love is a bit of an enigma at the position, or maybe he's not based upon the way the position's going right now in the NFL and the ever-changing landscape of what is required of quarterbacks to become good professionals in the National Football League. And Jordan Love, for all intents and purposes, he pretty much checks every box. You guys know I start these calls by trying to find out more about their background, their character, their leadership, who they are between the ears and what makes them tick, how they are hardwired, and I found glowing praise for Tua Tungavailoa, for Jake Fromm, not so much for Justin Herbert, but I got back to Jordan Love and found the same things from him that I found from Fromm and Tungavailoa. His former teammates and coaches and offensive coordinators all say great praise about Jordan Love. His former tight end, Dax Raymond, who was drafted to the NFL this year, says, quote, anyone that watches, they know he's a gamer, and that's the biggest thing I want in a quarterback personally. You sense the passion. He's not out there just to throw the ball a couple of times. He's out there to win. And one of the issues, end quote there, by the way, and one of the issues for Jordan Love this season is all the change and turnover he's going to have at Utah State. He lost his top three receivers to graduation from a yardage standpoint. His top tight end Dax Raymond got drafted to the NFL and his offensive coordinator David Yost who was his second coordinator in two years is now gone to Texas Tech as well but David Yost has a great history of working with college quarterbacks who have a chance to become good pros two of those guys from Missouri Blaine Gabbert and Chase Daniel though all five of Yost's quarterbacks from his 12-year tenure at Missouri did go on to play in the NFL, and Yo says that Jordan Love is right there among the best of them. I know I don't want to talk about Blaine Gabbert and Chase Daniel as NFL success stories, but coming out of college, those guys had some high praise, especially Gabbert, a first-round draft pick. Yo says, quote, Jordan Love is right there among them. If he continues to progress with his skill set and his ability, he's an NFL-level type quarterback as we go forward. That's the expectation, close quote. So people think very highly of Jordan Love, and when you watch the tape, you're going to see why. The strengths in Jordan Love's game are apparent and multiple. The first thing I see when I watch Jordan Love on tape, and this is something I really look look for in quarterbacks, is just how natural of a thrower they are. And it kind of has that shortstop trait to it where they can throw the ball from any angle, any platform. They can whip it over the top from a side arm angle. Anytime they get their arm angle off the traditional platform, they're able to make throws with the same velocity and same accuracy because some quarterbacks excel at finessing the ball. Some quarterbacks excel at driving the ball. Some are way better when they're confined to the throw 
throwing from a clean pocket, and some prefer to get out on the move, but Jordan Love is impervious to sacrificing any accuracy under any of those circumstances. It just gets to where it's supposed to go every single time with pretty much minimal effort, at least when you watch him on tape. That's how it appears, but he is so comfortable doing everything as a passer, but he's also advanced from a processing standpoint. As you can see him moving guys with his eyes on the off after the snap, he knows where the rotation from the defense is supposed to go and how to attack that coverage based upon his route concepts, and he can find those passing lanes, those narrow, minimal passing lanes, whether it's on third and long or pretty much any situation that he runs into. And lastly, and maybe even most impressively, is the athleticism, the designed run package, and the fact that he is a dominant threat to run the ball in short yardage and down around the goal line. That just gives the defense something else they have to think about in the way you have to deal with Cam Newton as an extra ball carrier in the backfield on those wildcat snaps, the read option, the quarterback keeps, the boot, the naked boots, the keepers, everything a quarterback can do with the runner, it gives the defense one more player to defend. And he's a straight sledgehammer, Jordan, Jordan Love is, when he he gets the ball down there. He's a big frame with an aggressive running style, and he's going to pick up those first downs by running through defensive backs and challenging linebackers at the same level as well. He's a physical, physical runner. But he's also more than capable of going off script and creating plays outside of the structure of the offense. He can erase free rushers and create openings for his receivers downfield as he surveys the coverage while he attacks the line of scrimmage, both with an emphasis on running and throwing. This guy can do both things just as well. He's very, very impressive. The areas I want to see him focus on improving... Frankly, I didn't really see a whole lot to nitpick with, and so I did have to nitpick, and there are times where Jordan Love will kind of drift away from the pressure as he fades back and tries to buy as much possible time waiting for something to uncover before he either takes a sack or throws the football away. There are some times where he has an option to escape left or right, and he doesn't do that. He just kind of drifts backwards and lets the pressure get to him but it was pretty minimal as far as how often it happened. And of these four quarterbacks that I watched, I had the hardest time finding flaws in Jordan Love's game. Of course, there's a couple of examples. There's a video up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com where he doesn't make the right read and he stares down his fieldside receiver and kind of double clutches and triple clutches as he looks at that receiver and that almost gets picked off as a result, but he doesn't have any egregious turnovers from what I saw. He doesn't really throw with poor accuracy and he typically is on time and in rhythm. This guy is a good-looking quarterback. I think he checks the boxes for leadership, for character, for accuracy. And the one note we haven't really touched on this week because Fromm is okay, not really that good, but he's passable from an athletic standpoint. Tua's pretty good. Justin Herbert's really good. But Jordan Love is on another level. And that's something Brian Flores and Chris Greer both mentioned. They do want a mobile quarterback with athleticism to spare because it makes you have to defend more things on offense. And that's why I think this would be a great fit for the Dolphins offense. They want to be a downhill running team. Well, Jordan Love just gives you another element to the running game. But he's also a very gifted passer who could take the offense to another level, both on the ground and through the air. The conclusion of all of this is that Jordan Love, I think for my money, might be the top quarterback available in this upcoming draft class. And I wanted to go ahead and put all these guys into a group with Josh Rosen, all five of them, and rank them across multiple categories. 
And we'll start here with the upside in terms of who I think has the highest ceiling. And for me, number one's Jordan Love because of those rare traits. And if he can put it all together from the cerebral aspect and get himself comfortable in an NFL system, I think the sky is the limit for him. Tua Tungavailoa is second on this list. Justin Herbert is third for me because of those physical traits. If he can ever put it together from a mental aspect. And then I have Jake Fromm as number four. And Josh Rosen to me has the lowest upside but he does have a high floor, which we'll talk about here in a second. The floor, Tua Tungavailoa is first for me. I think he's pretty much knocking a bust. He has enough traits that can be passable in the NFL. I think Jake Fromm's floor is very low as well, or very high as well, because he is so smart and so instinctive at the position. I have Josh Rosen, number three on this group, Jordan Love, number four, and I think Justin Herbert has a great chance to be a huge bust in the NFL. The velocity with the arm strength, Justin Herbert's number one, Jordan Love is number two, Josh Rosen's number three, Tua is four, and Jake Fromm is last, number five of this group. But arm talent in terms of being able to make multiple throws from different arm angles and different platforms, like I talked about, number one is Jordan Love, number two is Justin Herbert, third is Tua, fourth is Rosen, and again, fifth is Jake Fromm. The cerebral aspect, the mental aspect of the game between the ears, processing and figuring things out post-snap and pre-snap, number one's Jake Fromm. I've got Tua, number two, Jordan Love, number three, Josh Rosen, number four, and Justin Herbert is number five on that list. I had Rosen knocked a little bit because he was late a lot last year, as I detailed in the book on Rosen piece, scouting every single throw of his rookie season, but he could climb up this list this year very easily as well. The athleticism, number one, is Jordan Love again. Justin Herbert's number two. Number three is Tua Tungavailoa. Jake Fromm is fourth, and Josh Rosen comes in last on the athletic measurement. And from a leadership standpoint, this is kind of tough to decipher because we don't know these kids that well or personally at all. But just based upon what I've read, Jake, what I've read, Jake Fromm is number one. Jordan Love would be number two. Two was number three. Rosen four, and Herbert last on that list by a significant margin. How I would stack these guys in total, all five of them, if they were eligible for the draft right now today, I would go Jordan Love as my top guy on this list, Tua Tungavailoa number two, Jake Fromm number three, Josh Rosen number four, and Justin Herbert number five. So all of this comes to a conclusion with me to say that I think that the Dolphins would be foolish to pass on either from or love or in the rare event that Tua Tungavailoa happens to be available where they pick, I would be really surprised if the Dolphins pass on any of those three guys, regardless of what Josh Rosen does this year, unless he goes out and just plays MVP style football or Pro Bowl style football. That of course would change the dynamic, but do we think that's going to happen? And you're number two for a guy that struggled last year, probably not on a bad team nonetheless, but if he does, he'll earn that spot. But I do think Miami We'll be back in this quarterback market, and that's why we're talking about it here on the podcast, all these college quarterbacks, because I would be surprised if one of those guys is not a Miami Dolphin in 2020. I want to thank Untuck It for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. If you guys are looking for a great shirt for either yourself, your father, your son, whatever it might be, Untuck It shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com and use promo code NBA as a National Basketball Association. Untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off your order. This Thursday, June the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network marks 
the end of the divisional previews. We are going to do the AFC East one by one, hopefully next week with guests from the other Locked On podcast here on the Locked On podcast family of networks. But we finish up shop today in a division that Miami is going to play four games against this season, the AFC North. And we start with the defending champion, Baltimore Ravens. We briefly touched on this Ravens-Dolphins tilt last week on the podcast. And I still think Miami has a great shot to sneak up on those hated birds and win this season opening game. I think Flores will have a great defensive plan for Lamar Jackson. And I think that Miami will find creative ways to run the football and wear the Ravens down in a close game. Week one games always come down to something weird. So give me the home team most times in those games. Baltimore is a fascinating team to me. It obviously starts with Lamar Jackson. He gets a lot of crap for a guy that came off the bench and went 6-1 and one last year in what was essentially seven playoff games. I loved the addition of Mark Ingram to go along with Gus Edwards in their backfield. They're loaded at tight end with Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle, I guess, jumps in there as well. And they made some nice changes to the receiver core, getting Hollywood Brown in the first round to go on that track team of speedsters on offense. The defense was depleted in free agency. Gone are CJ Mosley and Zadarius Smith. Brandon Williams and Chris Wormley remain the stalwarts up front on the defensive line. And they're going to transform or transition the scheme rather to get Patrick Onawosar. I hope I said that right. More involved. He is a great looking linebacker and the next great Raven at the linebacker position. The back end is still damn good with Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Tavon Young, and Brandon Carr. And now they get to add Earl Thomas, one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game to become the next great Raven safety, just like they have with Eric Weddle and Ed Reed before him. But how about the team that Baltimore beat out to secure its playoff spot to end the season last year? The Cleveland Browns are full of hype and rightfully so. I remember texting with Mark Sessler of the Around the NFL podcast, or I should say DMing because that's a difference and we've learned on social media that texting and DMing are different stories. But I was telling Mark Sessler, who is, I guess, a buddy of mine, about how great Baker Mayfield is and how his long-suffering nightmare with the Browns was finally over. He didn't want to admit to it. He was optimistic, but I finally was able to tell him, I told you so at the end of the season, Baker Mayfield. I just think the world of that guy. The backfield's loaded with Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson until Kareem Hunt, the scumbag, comes back. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Rashad Higgins, David Njoku. This group is absolutely loaded. Now, they are bad at the tackle positions on the offensive line, which could, could cause some concern, but I believe in Baker to make up for those shortcomings and to mitigate some of those shortcomings on the offense. The defense is stacked as well. Miles Garrett is an MVP candidate. They bring in Olivier Vernon to go along with Larry Okunjobi and Sheldon Richardson on the inside. Denzel Ward, to, for my money, was one of the best rookies in the NFL last season. He's back with Greedy Williams, Demarius Randall, and Morgan Burnett. That back seven could use some more reinforcements on this Browns defense, but I think it's good enough to win the division. The Browns have way too many weapons and too much of a pass rush for the Dolphins to handle in that game, in my opinion. I think this one could get ugly. Then there's that drama-filled Pittsburgh Steelers team with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell gone. Big Ben is back, but I wonder how much longer he has in the tank. He gets banged up quite a bit, and I do believe that his play has fallen off over the last couple of years, but he's still a tough son of a bitch and a difficult out every single Sunday. I'm a fan of the James Conner, Jalen Samuels duo. You add Benny Snell from Kentucky in there as well. Juju Smith-Schuster is bordering on elite, and Ryan Switzer is a good-looking slot player. He's going to catch a lot of balls this season for the Steelers. 
And is there any doubt that James Washington, last year's second round pick, and Deontay Johnson, this year's second round pick, turns into studs on this offense? All the Steelers do is draft good receivers, and it's usually in the second or third round. Now, the offensive line remains one of the best in the entire National Football League. Marquise Pouncey, Alejandro Villanueva, David DeCastro, and Ramon Foster are all back. An absolutely loaded group there. The defense still has not recovered from the loss of Ryan Shazier, though Devin Bush is supposed to be the option or the answer to that issue. TJ Watt is a terrific pass rusher and terrific player. I'm excited to see what Mark Barron can do in this new defense. And the secondary has been an Achilles heel for this team for a couple of years. Terrell Edmonds has just not worked out on the back end, but Joe Hayden and Sean Davis are good players. The depth on the secondary is lacking because of some poor drafting over the last few years. And this is another rough out for the Finns on the road in primetime, the one Monday night game of the season, actually on my birthday on October 28th. Though I think they do match up better now that Brown and Bell are out of town from the last time we saw these two teams play in the postseason, I think this could be a close game, but I'll give it to the home team in the Steelers. And then there's the lowly Bengals with Zach Taylor, who I don't know how he got qualified for this job. The last memory I have of Zach Taylor is sitting in the quarterback room while David Garrard and Matt Moore basically taught Ryan Tannehill how to play quarterback. And maybe that's why Tannehill never learned and developed because Zach Taylor wasn't qualified for that position. He was there through nepotism. Now he's a head coach, coaching Andy Dalton, who has basically been Ryan Tannehill 2 throughout the course of his NFL career. Joe Mixon has a chance to be one of the best running backs in the NFL, though he, like Kareem Hunt, is a scumbag. He is a good-looking player on the football field. A.J. Green's getting a bit old, but he still can play some ball. I think Tyler Boyd's one of the better slot guys in the league. And did they finally fix the offensive line? I love the Jonah Williams pick. They got Cordy Glenn from last year, but then they re-signed Bobby Hart and picked up John Miller, so maybe not. The defensive line on the other side of the ball remains a strength. Geno Atkins, he's still doing it. Carl Lawson, Carlos Dunlap, and Jordan Willis, all of those guys can get after the quarterback. The linebacker group is wanting, and the secondary is led by second-year safety Jesse Bates, who was one of my favorite players in the draft last year. I'm excited to see his growth in year number two. And this could be the most meaningless game on the football schedule in the NFL come week 16. But I do think it's one that Miami has a great shot to win. They can fluster and rattle Andy Dalton and they can pick on the Bengals linebackers in coverage. I think this is a game the Dolphins will win week 16, December 22nd at home in Miami, the home finale in Miami for 2019. This is an intriguing division. Let's go ahead and talk about the best of. For me, the best player is Miles Garrett. I think he could be defensive player of the year this year. The best offensive player to me is Baker Mayfield. And we'll go with a different defensive player other than Miles Garrett for the best defensive player. That's Geno Atkins, the interior rusher for the Cincinnati Bengals. The best offensive rookie for me is also a Bengal, Jonah Williams. The best defensive rookie is the Steelers linebacker. They traded up a lot of draft picks to go get him, Devin Bush. The best coach is Jim Harbaugh, who somehow almost was getting talked about being fired. And the best rivalry is easily Steelers and Ravens. Probably the best rivalry in sports for my money for the better part of the last decade. Plus, you have the Paula Malu ed Reed rivalry, those black and blue games in the spread it out era. It never got better than that. So many close games, primetime games, playoff games, games to decide the division. I cannot get enough of Ravens and Steelers, easily the best rivalry in this division. 
And with that, let's go ahead and close up shop. I'm going to come back on tomorrow's podcast with an extended mailbag version of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We're going to jump back into the quarterback sometime next week. Jacob Eason, Eric King, Khalil Tate, Sam Ellinger, KJ Costello, and Brian Lewerke will all be part of the best of the rest category on the Locked On Dolphins scouting column on the LockedOnDolphins.com webpage there. I also want to tell you guys about Grip6 belts as today's show is brought to you in part by Grip6 and their ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flaws. A great gift for dad, grandpa, yourself, whoever it might be. Go to grip6.com. They have a special offer for you right now. It's grip6.com slash lock for grip six belts. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Thursday night. Check that. <laughs>